Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. And as you're being seated, I would ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, first gospel, first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to pick up in Jesus' teaching and the message on the mount. So, uh, I think I've told you before that my favorite book of all time is called The Boys in the Boat, recently made into a movie. Probably second runner up to that is a book called The Perfect Mile by by Neil Bascom. It talks about um, three people in the 1950s who set out to break the four-minute mile. How many of you, if you did enough training, you think you could break a four-minute mile? Okay. Victoria, I'm looking at you. One day I expect you to do this, okay? How many of you, if you did enough training, could maybe break a 40-minute mile? Does that sound more reasonable for, for most people? That's where most of us are. But these three athletes set out, and I'll give you their names in just a minute, to actually do what had never been done in recorded human history, to run a mile in less than four minutes. Um, one was Roger Bannister, and, and what's interesting about Roger Bannister is he was a medical student and also an amateur athlete. So he was training to be a doctor and trying to break the four-minute mile all at the same time. He's the quintessential amateur. Uh, John Landy in Australia, he was trying to shape his body for this singular task of running a sub-four-minute mile. And then not too far from here was Wes Santee from Kansas. And as, as an American, he's like most of us, he just thought he was better than everybody else. Okay. Well, Rogers Bannister would eventually break the four-minute mile. And at the beginning of Neil Bascom's book, he writes this one paragraph, and I don't know why I love this paragraph so much, but I just do. So here's here's what he says. All three runners endured thousands of hours of training to shape their bodies and minds. They ran more miles in a year than many of us walk in a lifetime. They spent a large part of their youth struggling to breathe. They trained week after week to the point of collapse, all to shave off a second, maybe two, during a mile race the time it takes to snap one's finger and register the sound. There were sleepless nights and training sessions in rain, sleet, snow, scorching heat. Here's my favorite part. There were times when they wanted to go out for a beer or a date, but they knew they couldn't. They understood that life was somehow different for them. So I want you to think about this for just a moment, and I'm going to use the words discipline, I'm going to use the word habit, I'm going to use the word practice all interchangeably this morning. But these three runners had to practice discipline and just think about what that is. Discipline makes the difficult doable. All of them were natural athletes, but none of them would have achieved this goal of a sub-four-minute mile were it not for discipline. Discipline is, is, makes possible the difficult becomes doable. So Jesus, in his message on the mount, he, he follows a very clear train of thought He talks about things that we're going to meet with every day. He starts by talking about our character. This is the Beatitudes. Here's the kind of life that God blesses. Then he goes from there to talk about a Christian's influence. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We're to use our character to influence others. And then Jesus talks about a Christian's righteousness, our right relationship with God. And in fact, Jesus says it's different than anything else you've seen. It's not about you relating to the rules. It's about you relating to God and using the rules to augment that. And then from there, Jesus then talks about a Christian's disciplines, a Christian's 
habits, a Christian's practices. And we're, he's going to mention a few here in just a moment. But here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not easy. Following Jesus is not easy. It's difficult. So we need to put some disciplines in our life that then make the difficult doable. So there's a standard, kind of one rule Jesus puts on all these disciplines that we're going to talk about today and some we won't talk about. It's in chapter 6, verse 1. He says this. Here's the cardinal rule. Be careful not to practice your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He says, here's the cardinal rule about spiritual discipline, spiritual practices. If you're still foggy on what those are, we'll get to them in just a moment. But here's the deal. They must be done in secret. You can't make a big deal out of them. Because disciplines not only make the difficult doable, disciplines also make us deeper people. In fact, Richard Foster, I, one of the best books I've ever read on spiritual disciplines, in fact, the best book I've ever read on spiritual disciplines. It's an old classic written 40 years ago. He says, the world doesn't need smarter people, more gifted people. The world needs deeper people. Some of you might remember the U.S. rescue operation in Granada in 1983. We went in, conducted a rescue operation. Afterwards, they were like, 8,615 awards for valor given in that military campaign. The trouble is there were only 7,000 soldiers on the field. You know what happened? A lot of the higher up at Fort Bragg and the Pentagon awarded themselves medals of honor. Yeah. We have this incredible desire to self-congratulate myself. And Jesus says, that's not what that's about. That's shallow. These disciplines should make you deeper people. And so as a result, You've got to practice these things in secret. Practice these things in quiet. Practice these things where no one else sees them. So Jesus is going to mention three disciplines. And we'll talk about them this morning, but I'm not going to talk about them in order. Here's, here's the best illustration I can give. A couple of years ago, I, I flew down to DFW, rented a car. I needed to see a friend in Fort Worth, and I needed to go over and see a friend in Dallas. So I, I flew into Love Field, went over to Fort Worth first, and then on the way to Dallas... Um, I was in a rental car. I wanted to stay off the toll roads because I didn't have a, a toll tag. So I just thought, well, I'll just stay on public roads. And so every time uh, there'd be a toll road, I would, I would take an exit. And so I set my location on the map and it said, you're 20 minutes from your destination. Every time I had to exit a t for a toll road and get on a major route, I was still for an hour, 20 minutes from my destination. <laughs> yeah, great reason. No, don't ever complain about driving in Tulsa, okay? So for, for an hour, I just kind of did this loop around, and I finally landed, right? And then on my way back to the airport, I just ran through the toll roads, <laughs> deal with the tickets later, right? So that's kind of what we're going to do with this passage today. I want to start with the first one, then I'm going to go down, hit the, hit the third discipline that Jesus talks about. Then we're going to loop back up around, hit the one in the middle. But then I'm trying to draw a bullseye around one of the most diff no, not even going to qualify it the most difficult thing you'll do in your Christian life. But what are these disciplines for? To make us deeper and to make the difficult doable. Okay, so let's just look at some of these disciplines. Here's some of the practices that we should go about for discipline and to make us deeper. Verse two, so when you give to the needy, 
do not announce it with trumpets. Now, what does that mean? And we actually get our phrase to toot your own horn, to sound your own horn from this. When Jews would go into the synagogue, the offering receptacles, and we have boxes in the window ledges, the receptacles would, would have this small opening, but then they would taper down into this large container. It kind of looked like a trumpet. And so if a person was savvy and they wanted to get the admiration of other people, what would they do? They would take their large denomination of coins, convert them to a whole bunch of smaller denomination of coins. They'd be given the same amount, but a whole lot more coins. And as they drop them in, they would be sounding their own trumpet. People would think they're dropping on a whole lot of money. It just sounded big. Jesus says, when you give, don't sound the trumpets like the hypocrites do. Why is giving publicly hypocritical? And not always. We should practice discretion. If people find out, we shouldn't be over-scrupulous about this. But our motive should not be to be seen by others. Here's why it's hypocritical. Because if you give generously when only other people can see, you're not giving, you're buying. You're not really giving at all. You're buying. You're trying to buy people's respect and admiration and applause and appreciation. So as much as it is possible as we give, we should give in secret because if we don't, we, we have our reward. We might get people's appreciation, but we really don't have the approval of God. So every week I, I meet the kids at the offering box here. Parents, grandparents, listen up. Here's, here's why I do this. Number one, it gives me some time just to spend with the kids one-on-one. -on -one. I get to know their names. They get to know me. I'm not the scary pastor up here. I'm a little weird, but not scary, okay? Plus, they tell me some great things about you when they come down, okay? <laughs> so this I will use to extort you later on, okay? But more than that, it's your opportunity to start treating your kids, teaching your kids from a very young age to practice generosity, so let me encourage you, as your kids are around the house, let them do chores, let them earn money, set their allowance, and then on Saturday, sit down and take some of that and set it aside so that they're actually giving. It's not just a dollar you're giving them or something coming out of them, and I have extra dollars up here all the time, don't want anyone to be left out, but what a teaching opportunity. It's a discipline to give generously. Why do we practice this discipline? To make the difficult doable. Hear me. What giving does, and we're going to talk more about this next week, we replace selfishness with self-sacrifice. Okay? That, that's the hard thing. That, that's why we practice generosity, not only because other people need it, but because we need it as well. We need to remember, my stuff isn't just about me. And really, if we begin to embrace generosity, it becomes this game, how much can I give away? And I'm not just talking about the church offering. I'm talking about our time and our talents and our abilities. It's replacing selfishness with self-sacrifice. That's what this discipline does. It makes the difficult doable. So Jesus talks about giving. Now let's loop around on I-35 and come at it from another direction. Verse 16, let's talk about fasting. When you fast, do not look somber. Can I just stop right here? Being crotchety is not spiritual. Take that. I, I shared with the Wednesday night group, I, actually it happened right over here, it's Easter 2003. I walk in, a gentleman's sitting back over here, I greeted him by name, I said, Harry, how you doing? He said, I'm miserable. 
This is Easter Sunday. And I go, why are you miserable on Easter Sunday? He said, because we laugh too much in church. Harry, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Okay. Being crotchety, being negative is not being spiritual. Even when we practice some hard disciplines, listen, are we or are we not called to be people of joy? Let's be people of joy then. So even when we practice those difficult things, it's not about you know, making it look tough. Don't be somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. So here's another spiritual discipline, and it's one that we don't talk about too often. But fasting serves a very real purpose in the Christian life. Let me encourage you. If you're trying to make a decision, if you're trying to make a decision in your life and you don't know what to do, you've tried praying, you've tried reading the Scripture, you've tried wise counsel, you've tried everything you know, to discern a decision and it's not coming to you, fast. Fast. And make an agreement like this. And I have personal stories of, of decisions that were, were made because of that. What fasting does, and, and try saying this to God, God, I will not eat another bite until I have clarity on this. All of a sudden, you'll find the ability to have clarity. Okay. <laughs> so when you face a big decision, in fact, I think the bigger the decision the more you should fast, okay? Not only clarity, but fasting can also be used in confession and repentance, of taking time and saying, I, I wanna remind myself that I need God more than I need anything else. Lent is a perfect time for this. Listen, Lent is not a Catholic thing. Lent is a Christian thing. It's taking the season before Easter, and as we do spring cleaning in our house, we do some spiritual cleaning in our souls. And it's giving up something. Maybe you would give up social media or give up sweets or give up drink, drinks, uh, Coca-Cola. You know, soda is one that people often give up. Or, or quit drinking for Lent. I mean, I'm just up here talking. <laughs> Sorry, that meant to be funny. It, it wasn't. When I said give up drinks for Lent, I thought, oh, that could be misinterpreted. And I should have just left it alone and kept on going, right? Or do this. What if you did a media fast for Lent? And all the negativity in our culture, you just, you just turn it off. The world will still be there when you get back, okay? There's a lot of different ways to fast for the sake of every time you want to do that, that something that you enjoy, you're reminded what season it is, and you take time to look at your own soul before the presence of God. So, discipline makes the difficult doable. When we fast, it's a reminder, I don't have to answer to every appetite. I don't have to answer to every impulse. I don't have to answer to every emotion that comes my way. I can say, I don't, I don't have to answer to all those appetites. I need God. So we're circling in. And I believe Jesus comes now in the middle, and I think he places it there on purpose because it is a central discipline of the Christian life, prayer. And notice what he does here. What he does is he gives a religious example and he gives a pagan example. He gives an example from the Jewish people and from the Gentile people. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. They're not talking to God, they're talking about God to others, you know, or talking to God in front of others. It doesn't have to be public. And then, don't be like the pagans. They think they will be heard because of their many words. 
By the way, my, my favorite part of what Jesus teaches here is he says, go into your room. The word he uses for room was an inner room that every house would have that you would keep your most valued possessions there. You're going into the safe room. You're going into the lockbox. You're going to a place where you keep your treasures there where you don't permit anyone else to go. You talk to God. And then Jesus gives a model of a prayer. Now, my plan is in the fall, we're going to come to this prayer and we're going to spend about six or seven weeks on this prayer because there's so many different voices used in this prayer. It is actually profound. Our Father in heaven, may your name be holy and respected in my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done here as it is there. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So just looking at the whole thing as in large, Jesus said when you pray, keep it simple. You don't have to pray a lot of religious words. Keep it short. I like that advice, don't you? Yeah. Uh, don't think that there has to be a lot of words. Keep it simple, keep it short, keep it sincere. My encouragement is if you're having your time of prayer and you keep getting distracted by something, pray your distractions. You're trying to do all the religious things over here when if you're worried about that conversation you're going to have later on today, make that the topic of your prayer. That's really what's on your mind and take it to God. Pray your distractions. But then Jesus does this. Just brought a little post-it note. You know what it looks like. IBM actually has trademarked this particular color yellow. That's why if you find a different brand post-it note, it'll be just, you can just tell it's a little bit different. They trademarked this yellow because it communicates to us, this is urgent, this is important, don't forget this. So Jesus takes this prayer and one part he almost lifts out a little post-it note and writes on here. It's the only part of the prayer that he comments on. And he says this, for if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. So, remember what we're talking about, disciplines. It makes the difficult doable. Perhaps the hardest discipline in the Christian life is to forgive other people. So if you just try to do it, you're probably not going to do very well. But if you start training to do this, it makes the difficult doable. So I want to talk for just a moment about the discipline of forgiving other people. First, let's deal with what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not pretending something didn't really happen. It's not pretending that something didn't hurt. It said it really happened, it really hurt, but we're making a decision to no longer let this affect our relationship. We're not gonna bring it up to each other. We're not gonna bring it up with other people. I'm not even gonna bring it up with myself anymore. It is totally irrelevant. Why do people not forgive? There's a lot of different reasons, but bottom line, I think it comes down to this. We want control. And so if somebody has hurt us, the only way we can control that relationship or have control over them is to just not forgive them. That'll teach them. But it usually always just ends up hurting yourself. So 
how do you actually forgive somebody? It is difficult. But remember, a discipline helps make the difficult doable. And so it starts with prayer. Make a pact with yourself. That person that you hate, that whenever they come to mind, you will pray for them by name. You'll stop whatever you're doing right there and focus on prayer. And you're not going to pray for them by calling down fire on them. You're going to pray for God's best and God's blessing on them. So I shared with you last week that in my reading of the message on the mount during the month of January, I came to the conclusion, and I confess this to my wife, I confess this to you, that there's a person from my past who I hate. Okay? I'm not worried about disappointing you. I'm concerned about what that does to my soul and what that does to my relationship with God. And so I've made a pact, and I'm, I'm living this right now, every time they come to mind. I pray for them by name. Here's what I believe. I believe the devil wants to derail you at any cost. And if he can get you thinking negative thoughts about people, his, his job's pretty easy on that. But if you make a pact, every time this person comes to mind, you pray for them, that's exactly what the devil doesn't want. And so don't be surprised if they start coming to mind less because you're praying for them more. Then here's the next thing to do. And this is based on Romans 12. Do good to that person. And if possible, do good to them without them knowing about it. Because it's not you trying to win back their favor. It's not about you saying, see how much more mature I am by doing these good things for you. Do things in secret for their good. It will begin to change your heart. Then here's the third thing. Repent of your part of the problem. So I would say in any conflict, with the exception of one or two, in any conflict, people have hurt one another. It's never one-sided. I think the exception I would make on this would be abuse, okay? That's pretty one-sided. But in most cases, 99.99%, there's two sides to this. So if you go to that person in writing, or I would encourage in person, and say, you and I have not gotten along, I want you to know that I forgive you as best I can, but I'm going to ask you to forgive me of what I've done. You're not confessing their faults, you're confessing your faults, and you're asking for their forgiveness. Now, whether they do that or not, here's, here's the challenge. We think we'll do that. We're playing the bigger person, and they don't forgive us, or they don't ask for forgiveness. We have to guard ourselves against bitterness because God is working on us at our pace. He's working on them at their pace. Don't try to shortchange that. Don't expect any quick results. You do what you're supposed to do and be free from everything that you carry around. Now, here's the scary part of this because Jesus says, if you forgive others, they'll forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. That's the scary part of this. What does that mean? Here's where I want you to hear me very clearly. It's not that God doesn't want to forgive you. It's that he can't. If you're not forgiving to others, God wants to forgive you, but you're not permitting him to. And if I were to draw just a simple illustration, imagine your heart. There's one door on your heart. That door is the forgiveness door, and it is both the exit and the entrance. Okay, 
And so if you shut your door, you're not going to let any forgiveness out of your heart. You shut that door and you lock it. Guess what? That door that's the exit for forgiveness is also the entrance. And God can't forgive you because you've shut and locked it. And so even though it hurts, even though it doesn't always work out the way we want it to, even though it still just churns our emotions, and folks, I'm, I hate conflict. I think it's funny. I hate conflict, and God made me a pastor. Dadgummit. <laughs> open that door. Sometimes those hinges are rusty and they creak, but you open it up and you start letting forgiveness out, which also starts letting forgiveness in. That's the freedom of forgiveness. And what motivates that is because how much God has forgiven us. We should have a surplus of forgiveness for other people. So way back in the day, the Yankees were playing the Milwaukee Braves in a World Series. Yogi Berra's behind the plate. Yogi Berra chattered all the time to encourage his own teammates, but also to distract the batters. And here comes Hank Aaron, power hitter for the Milwaukee Braves. He comes up to bat, and Yogi is trying to distract him, and Hank gets up there, takes a couple practice swings, and Yogi goes, Hank, you're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to hold it with the label up so you can read it. Pitch came in, Hank Aaron popped it out of the park, trotted around the bases. When he came back to home plate, he passed by Yogi Berra and said, I didn't come up here to read. <laughs> Isn't that great? I didn't come up here to read. I came up here to hit. My encouragement to you, get in the game. If you call yourself a Christian, get in the game. Don't just read this stuff. Practice it. Practice prayer. Practice reading the Bible. In fact, those are two core disciplines that I'm trying to teach us to merge together into one conversation with the Lord. I'm encouraging you, pay attention to the midweek updates on Facebook, 11 o'clock every Wednesday. If you're a church member, you get an email as a reminder. You can log on and listen anytime. I'm trying to teach a discipline of merging Scripture reading and prayer, but don't just read. Practice. Discipline yourselves. And that discipline will make the difficult doer doable. <laughs> Almost got to the end. It'll make the difficult doers. Yeah. It'll make the difficult doable and will also make you a deeper person who follows Christ. I'm out of words. Let's stand together. Let's pray. And we'll go. So, Jesus, I don't think that there's a person in here that's going to say forgiveness is easy. Uh, and we can try, but what we really need to do is train. So, would you bolster our relationship with you in prayer and Scripture reading and worship and a thousand other disciplines to actually make the difficult doable, that we would be people who are forgiven and, as a result, practice forgiveness. Father, I know for a lot of people in this room, there's a face right now, and there's a person that comes to mind. So we practice it right now, that when that person comes to mind, we pray for your biggest blessing on their lives. Bless them. And then would you see fit to allow us to somehow bless their lives as well? Would you give us the opportunity of doing good? And would you change the trajectory of our hearts? 
in a world that's bent toward bitterness and hatred and resentment. But would you help us to open that door of forgiveness and also make forgiveness available to ourselves because we do that. Thank you that life is somehow different for us. And you call us to be people who practice those things that are difficult, to make obedience doable. It's in Jesus' name that we offer our prayer. Amen. Let's sing to the Lord together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.